If you would, please take out your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Acts. We're going to be in the 15th chapter this morning, and the message literally is entitled, Who is this really for anyway? And this morning we're going to kind of look at, at the culmination of what I was able to share with you the three weeks prior to our going on sabbatical. And, man, I just want to say a word of appreciation. Thank you for letting us do that. Uh, it truly was a time of getting away to rest and, and uh, just to kind of recharge and, and to think through and to pray through a lot of things. And, and so appreciate, <clears throat> we appreciate that opportunity. And uh, this morning as we look at this, there, there's some things that I want us to see in this passage of Scripture, some things that the Word of God says to us uh, about how we do church, about the reasons we serve, the reasons we do what we do. If you're here this morning and you are not a member of this church, uh, you are off the hook, okay? You can listen uh, and you don't have to decide in or out, okay? This is, this is just a freebie for you this morning and I'm going to try to be a good steward of your time and get you out here on time. If you're not a believer today, um, man, you can just listen to the truths of what this passage teaches us, and, and maybe that'll help you on your journey towards Christ. Maybe that'll help you decide in or out with Jesus. Now, if you're here today, church, and you're a part of the church, buckle up, okay, because this is for you. It is for you and I to, to hear what was going on in, in the early New Testament church and, and to hear some truths about why they did some things they did and, and, and how those things began to be used as barriers to keep the church from doing what the church is really supposed to do. Okay, I said this earlier, and we're going to hit this two or three times. We all come to faith as is. Okay, We all come with our warts and our, our struggles and all of those things. And, and, and what we need to begin to figure out is We've got to get this message to the people out there, okay? And, and so why do we do what we do? Who is this really for anyway? And I want you to allow the truths that are recorded here in this passage to challenge us about arbitrary barriers that you and I may erect that can be used by our enemy, Satan. You see, the truth is Satan doesn't want one more person to come to faith. He, wants, he, he knows if you're here today and you have a relationship to Jesus Christ that has changed your life, he cannot touch you, period. But he does not want the church to grow anymore. And so he will use things, barriers, attitudes, actions by people inside the body of Christ. He will use those things as barriers if we're not careful. So this morning, I want us to look at this and, and, and what, what the Bible says God challenges us with to think, who is this really for anyway? If you have your Bibles open there uh, to the book of Acts, the 15th chapter, if you would, please stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the Word of God. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 1, some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. But after Paul and Barnabas had engaged him in serious argument and debate, they arranged for Paul and Barnabas and some of the others of them to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem concerning this controversy. When they had been sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, explaining in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and they created, and, and they created great joy among all the brothers." 
when they arrived at Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the believers from the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Then the apostles and the elders assembled to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you're aware that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. And God who knows the heart testified to them by giving the Holy Spirit just as he also did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Why then are you now testing God by putting on the disciples' necks a yoke that neither our forefathers nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. We believe they are saved, or we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are. You may be seated. May God bless his word this morning as we study it together. We're going to look at this whole passage of Scripture down through verse 35 and some things that it challenges us with for us to begin to think about as we look at what do we do to reach our community for Christ. And the first thing that this passage teaches us is don't create artificial barriers. Look in verse 1. Some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. In verse 6, the apostles and the elders assembled to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you are aware that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. And God who knows the heart testified to them by giving the Holy Spirit just as he also did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Why then are you now testing God by putting on the disciples' necks a yoke that neither our forefathers nor we have been able to bear? Every time I read this passage, I'm reminded of a story that Don Myers taught or told that first time that he came to speak to us. And he was talking about, you know, and he was rather advanced in years, of course, suffering from cancer. And he talked about one of his friends who had come up to him. And his friend, an elderly gentleman, said, you know, I'm, I'm considering being circumcised. And Don said he looked at his friend and said, man, I would strongly advise against that at your age. He said, I did that once and I couldn't walk for a year. I'll give you a minute. When he was a baby... Okay, all right, got it, okay, there we go, all right, snap it up, here we go, all right, there we go, good. Every time I hear that, I think about that story. Now, I want you to think about the test of church membership, okay? The Judaizers, the Pharisees come and say, unless they are circumcised according to the teachings of Moses, they can't be a member of the church. Andy Stanley in his commentary on this passage says, you can imagine what the church would look like today if we had that kind of test. There'd be a lot of women and children in church, but no men, okay? And, 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 and so they have created this barrier unless you can't be saved. And so Peter, hearing this in this debate, he stands up, And he begins to challenge them and challenge their ideas. And he reminds them, hey, guys, remember, God chose my mouth. I agree with you, Peter says. I used to be right where you are. But God called me to go to the house of Cornelius and to preach the gospel. And oh, by the way, they got saved. And the evidence of their salvation is the same evidence that we have. In fact, he says, you are trying to put a yoke on their neck and make them look like you when you don't even look like you. Notice what he says. 
You're trying to put a yoke on them that neither our forefathers nor we have been able to bear. You want them to look like you, secret handshake, right dress, right Bible, sit in the right place, know the code language, know the word. You want them to look like you when you don't even look like you. See, that's a problem today in the church. With the church, not this church necessarily, but the church. We want the outsiders to look like insiders before they become insiders when the insiders look more like the outsiders. Quit putting artificial barriers in people's way. We need to understand and remember that the word of God says we all came as is. We didn't get cleaned up. We didn't get made right or set right and then all of a sudden come into this place of faith. We come to faith as is, period. The word of God, Romans 3.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Not the wages of a multitude of sins or the wages of a specific group of sins, but the wages of sin, singular. The wages of sin is death. The reality is every single one of us deserves Eternal death. One sin puts us into that category of deserving death. And a lot of us are walking around and we don't remember how long ago it was that we came to faith. And we don't remember what we were like. We actually begin to believe that maybe we really weren't that bad. No. For the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. And and, and so we come to faith in, in who God is and what God is and what God does. One sin puts us into the category of as is. But we hear what what Peter says the day he preaches at Pentecost, Acts 2.39. This promise of grace, this promise of, of new life, it's to you and to your children and to all who are far off. As many as the Lord our God will call. Who's beyond the call of God? I don't know. That's not my job. That's not your job. It's not the church's job. The church's job is to issue the call. Come. Whosoever will believe, grace, accept God for who you are as you are and let him change your life. And there is a message today that the world needs to hear. We're trying to scrub people and put boundaries there and make them look like us before they come in. And the reality is we come to grace. Our job, issue the call. Tell people about who Jesus is. When we do that, we have to practice the whole truth. Look at verse 11. On the contrary, we believe we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are. Notice what Peter says. He doesn't say they're saved like we are. He says we're saved like they are. I mean, Peter's inside the church. Peter's part of the leadership. It would have been real easy to say everybody gets to look like us. That's not what Peter says. Peter says we, those who think we're on the inside looking out, we're saved the same way they are by grace. The Lord Jesus Christ. Grace. First, uh, the, the, the first uh, chapter of John, John 1.14, the word of God says that Jesus Christ came full of 
grace, verse 14, grace and truth. And then again in verse 17, John 1, 17, grace and truth. And there's a reason that those words are included in the word of God that way. Because you see, that's, that's how it happens. It's grace and then truth. It's grace and then knowledge. Always has been, always will be God's plan. Grace, then truth. And that's not always neat and tied up pretty in a bow. That doesn't always look the same every Sunday. That sometimes gets messy, really does. And it's not always fair. Do you know that the Christian faith is not fair? It's not. Do you know that the Christian faith is not socialism? It's not. It's not. You can't find socialism in the Bible. It's not there. It's not fair. Aubrey did a masterful job last week of sharing with you about the man in in John 5 who was healed at, at the pool of Siloam. Beautiful, beautiful sermon. But have you really thought Stanley in his book, Deep and Wide, talks about that instance, that scene? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, Aubrey talked about it. All these people have sores, and they're crippled, and they're lame, and they have arthritis, and they're hurting, and they're laying out all around this pool waiting for the waters to be stirred so that one can get in. And Jesus comes. And he's tiptoeing, doesn't want to step on anybody, walking through all the misery to the one. Wait a minute. Jesus could have said, hey, everybody, you're healed. He didn't. That's not fair. Is that fair? I mean, he picked one guy. Why? I don't know. That's just what he chose to do that day. Rich young ruler, give up everything that you have. Sell all your goods and possessions, your houses, your cars, your boats, your camels, everything you've got and follow me. Thief on the cross, if you'll just believe, today you're in paradise. Is that fair? No. Faith's not fair. Faith's not about fair. Faith's about grace. And you and I have got to preach the whole counsel of God. Grace, then truth. Eighth chapter of the Gospel of John Jesus sits down. He, he's beginning to preach. If you read the story, he just sat down to teach his disciples. Okay, he's right in the middle of church, and the Pharisees bust in. And they got a woman who's caught in the act of adultery. Now, I want to remind you, it takes two to tango. Okay? There was a dude that wasn't there. We don't know where he is, okay? But she couldn't have been caught in the act unless the dude was in the act with her, okay? But we just bring her. And, and, and you know, there, there's a whole reason there. And we, we don't know. The Bible says they bring her in to accuse Jesus, to test him, to see what he'll say. And, and they say, hey, teacher, we caught this woman in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses says she deserves to be stoned. What do you say? What's Jesus do? He starts drawing in the dirt. What's he drawing? We don't know. A lot of speculation. He could have been, you know, he could have written, where's the man? We don't know. He could have written the name of the dude. Where's Billy Joe Bob? I mean, he could have begun to write the names of all those people who were standing in their sins. We don't know what he wrote. That's not the point. 
The point is, they press him and he stands up and he says, you're exactly right. Exactly right. She deserves to be stoned. Tell you what. The first one of you guys who doesn't have any sin in his life, you throw the first one. It says, but one by one, from the oldest to the least, they begin to drop their stones and walk away. Jesus is back down writing in the dirt. And he notices everybody is gone. He hears the rocks hitting the ground. And he stands up and he looks around and he looks at the woman. And he said, is there no one who condemns you? And she says, no one, sir. And he said, then neither do I condemn you. The one who could, the one who was holy, who had no sin, says, then I don't either. Grace. Now, go leave your life of sin. Truth. Grace. I don't condemn you. Truth. Repentance. Start doing what God wants you to do. Grace and truth. That's the whole message. And the problem with the church today, guys, is we are peddling truth with no grace. We want people to look like us, dress like us, talk like us, act like us, feel like us before they come in. And God says it's grace that changes the heart. And once grace changes the heart, then you can teach them truth. See, they can't really understand truth until they know grace. And that's messy. That's different. That sometimes means that we get dirty. That's why he told Peter, let me wash your feet. You don't need a whole bath again, but you need to be cleansed. When you mess around the world, you're going to get messy. And the reality is today, you can build a gathering on grace, just grace. You can. A lot of our mainline denominations, liberal denominations today, man, that's all they do. They build it on grace. It's all, it's all grace, all forgiveness, no repentance. All grace, everything goes, no change in life. Mm-mm, sorry. That's not what the Word of God says. Grace and truth. And you can build a church on just truth. And I would challenge you that building a church on just grace or just truth is easier than building a church on grace and truth. It's easier. And I probably, in most of my ministry, have erred on just truth. I like grace. I'm not willing to extend it all the time. But the word of God says that we are to build a church on grace and truth. There's no compromise. Jesus doesn't back off. He doesn't water it down. Those people today who would say you can't be a seeking, seeker church and and, and not water down the gospel, wrong. You can. Proof right here. Grace. Now don't sin. Jesus, what did he say in in, in in the gospel of Luke? Zacchaeus. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is, was lost. There is a way that we can extend grace without watering down the truth. Grace and truth. That's what we're supposed to be about. That's what we're supposed to do. And, and, And when we do that... 
for, for that to happen, we have to identify the barriers that have been erected that keep people from coming to know grace. Because the word of God tells us, Paul writes in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Grace! Grace. Verse 2, truth. And do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Truth. Then you will be able to test and, and approve, discern what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will really is. Grace changes a heart. And there is only one person who can do that. His name is Jesus Christ. That's it. And once a heart has changed, then they can know truth. But notice, notice what this doesn't say. This doesn't say everybody is saved. We believe they are saved. We are saved just as they are. By grace, belief in who Jesus Christ is. Not everybody's going to be saved. It doesn't say everybody comes to faith. Doesn't say all paths lead to heaven. There are going to be people today who don't believe in Jesus Christ as the one and only, only begotten, never to be duplicated Son of the living God who aren't going to be saved. But if they get there, it's because of grace and because of who Jesus Christ is in their life. And, and so for us to understand that, the third thing is true, and that is that we have to keep the test of membership simple. Who can come? Who gets to come to church? Who gets to sit on your pew? Who gets to sit in your pew? Some of you aren't sitting in your pew today. You listen to one of those people. We used to tell our kids growing up all the time, there are some people, watch out for them. My prayer was that my kids didn't become some people, okay? You listen to one. Just kidding. What is our test? I'm not talking about teaching. Okay, you're not going to take, I mean, I, we spent 18 days in Colorado. There's some people up there who need grace. Okay, I saw a dude wearing a skirt. I know he was a dude because he had more facial hair than I do. That dude needed grace. I really, at that point in the week, was not ready to give it to him. As I was there longer, if I'd have seen him again, I might have given him some. What I wanted to give him was the front bumper of my truck when I drove by the first time. I'm just being honest, okay? Truth, sometimes not grace. Could that guy come sit in our church? Could he sit on your pew? It's easy to say that right now. He's not here. And he also didn't look like he'd bathed recently. What's the membership test? Now, I ain't giving that guy Sunday school literature and letting him teach team kid or Sunday. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about coming. Would we welcome him? 
and help him understand grace. Let truth change him later. Until grace changes his heart, he's not going to understand truth anyway. So what this says is we keep the test of membership simple. Look at verse 28. James is talking here. This is the letter that they sent back to the church. For it was the Holy Spirit's decision and ours to put no greater burden on you than these necessary things. That you abstain from food offered to idols, from blood, from eating anything that has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these things, you will do well. Farewell. Get after it. Then being sent off, they went down to Antioch, and after gathering the assembly, they delivered the letter. And when they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Here's the standard. It's really simple. There were two commands. No idolatry. No sexual immorality. There were two concessions. No food sacrificed to idols and no food that's been strangled that still has the blood in it. That was it. Get after it. Here's the requirements. Go. You're in. Go. God is blessed. Go. Get after it. That's who you are. There was give and take on both sides on things that were not essential. There was no doctrinal compromise. They didn't water it down. No idolatry, no sexual immorality. Now, why was that important? Up until this point in time, the Christian church is a Jewish sect. It is meeting under the umbrella of the temple. It's just that Christians are getting together over here, and notice, it's Pharisees, okay? And why were the Pharisees involved? They're brothers. They're part of the, they're in, they're saved, Okay, they understand. Go back and read it. They're in. But they got some other brothers who aren't in. And if the New Testament church started off chasing after all these other things that the Gentiles were used to doing without consequence, it would have prevented other Jewish believers from coming in. And so there was compromise on both sides so that the door stayed open to reach non-Christian Jews. And it called the Gentiles who were coming from a society where everything went to realize not everything goes anymore. And they rejoiced because the evangelism, the church doors staying open, the emphasis on reaching other people for Christ was the point. And it's still a point today. We can't create barriers. And we have to communicate the truth of God in a way the world can understand it. Not with church language. We don't live in the buckle of the Bible belt anymore. We do, but it no longer exists. We don't live in a center-right country anymore. It no longer exists. two pastors in a small rural community both of them standing on the edge corners of their property main street in town running out of town one of them's on one side holding a sign big white sign big black block letters and it says the end is near other pastor on the other side's got a big white sign big bold black letters and it says turn around before it's too late People just driving by, whizzing by the churches, these signs honking at them, 
obscene gestures at the pastor, screaming rude things. You're a bunch of religious fanatics. You're incompetent. Don't you have something better to say than that? And after an hour of listening to screeching brakes and splashing water, Pastor Johnson hollers at his counterpart across the street and says, maybe we ought to change our sign to say, bridge out ahead. Guys, bridged out. And the world is headed to hell in a handbasket. And we are standing on the corner with church signs, screaming church language that they cannot and will not understand. But we have a message that is pertinent. We have a message that is contemporary. We have a message that is life-changing. But we have to begin to communicate it in a method and manner that they can hear it. And that's not always pretty and tied up with a bow every Sunday. But that's God's call for our life and for the purpose of this place. Two stories, and I'm going to close. This past weekend, we went to Sulphur Springs on Friday and Saturday, and uh, my uncle I haven't seen since my granddad's funeral. His oldest son was in and for a graduation, and his wife and all of their kids, my cousins, I've literally not seen in probably 12 years. And so we drove to Sulphur Springs to go eat with them. While we were there, my mom and dad, stepdad recently moved back from Tyler, Holly Lake area to Sulphur Springs, and while they were in the Holly Lake area, my stepdad pastored a little country church, Stogner New Life Baptist Church. And he'd been there, he's been there for about seven years, and the church probably ran about 20, 25 when he went. They're down to about eight or ten people now. He's buried a lot of those people. It is a little church out in the middle of nowhere. Okay, it's on a farm to market road, middle of nowhere. And, and there are five churches closer, uh, bigger, larger, more programs and things, closer to the major uh, housing developments that they have to drive by to get to Stogner. Okay, so it's not like people are going to just come and flock and, and, and be there, um, you know, at this church. And, and Norman, it was just hard on Norman to go down there. And you know, he, he asked me Friday, we got, hey, can you go in the morning and help me load up my desk and my books? And, you know, he's, he's retired and, and, and moved away from that church and, and stuff. And it was hard, you know, just hard for him to do that and kind of break his ties. Man, I feel like a failure. His church didn't grow and thrive. And, you know, I think he thinks he ought to be the next Billy Graham. I've heard him preach. Uh, probably not. Uh, but his heart is in the right place to pastor these people. And so we go down and we pull up at the church to, to help him get his stuff. And there is this old, dilapidated arrow sign. You know the kind. Light. Only the light doesn't work. And on it are the words... Come here, our new pastor, Sunday. Now, that was hard. That was hard on Norman. He's like, man, they never put up a sign that said, come here, our old pastor, you know. And he was really kind of depressed about that, but, but I, I thought, I didn't say this to him, but I thought, you know what? Who's going to see the sign? No one. It's not lit up, it's not new, it's not shiny, it's just there. He saw it because it's different than what it was the last time when he left the church. But nobody else is going to see the sign. 
It's not going to matter. And I'm not being ugly. I'm just being truthful. But that's the problem with the church today. We put up signs and say, y'all come. Come. We'd love to have you come. No. We go. We quit putting up signs. And we go. And we find them. And we bring them in. We live life out in front of them that Jesus is real. Outside of these walls. That grace is true for them just like it was for us. And it's not that nobody likes Dogner New Life Baptist Church. It's just that the church doesn't matter to them. They drive by that church every single day and it just doesn't matter. That happens here in Eastland. Do you know that? I'm not exaggerating. I'm not speaking ministerially. Okay, I'm just telling you the truth. At least once a month. At least once a month. We get a call from somebody who wants help. Electric bill, water bill, food, clothing, something. We listen to their story. We agree to help the best way we can. And we tell them, just come to the church. We got some paperwork we need to fill out. We'll do what we can do. Where's your church? You live in Eastland, Texas, and you don't know where the first Baptist church is? I don't say that. Want to. And I'll start to, that's 405 South Seaman. Where's that? So I say this. It's just across the street from the police. Say, oh, yeah. <laughs> now, why do they know where the police station is? Because the police station matters. They may have a warrant out for their arrest. They may have a ticket that they haven't paid. When they drive down Seaman, they're going 30. Because they're looking for Hullum. Sneaky police officers pull over and back their cars in and clock people coming down Seaman Street too fast. Act like they're at work when they're really clocking people. I'm on to you, Hullum. I'm just glad I, I get to pull out there and not get a running start down Seaman. See, police station matters. Do what? Uh, I'll use my turn signal, yeah. Make sure my blinker works. <laughs> Police station matters. Church across the street doesn't until they need help. They don't know where we are. It's not that they're anti-church. It's the first place they call when they need help is here. It's just that we don't matter. We got to start mattering. We got to make them know where we are, know who we are, and know why we are. We went out to my granddad's house yesterday morning to pick up some dishes. Grandparents haven't been in the house for 10 years. We buried my granddad 10 years ago. We're driving out there, and along the way, we're driving through North Hopkins past Joe Bob's store, a little gas station that's been there as long as I can remember. We're going to go buy... North Hopkins Baptist Church, little country church that I got to pastor, that's out in the middle of nowhere that ran 30 when I was there and 10 when I left. Driving down the road, and man, there's stuff happening in North Hopkins Baptist Church. Only it's not North Hopkins Baptist Church anymore. 
It's got a new brand, new sign, red and blue colors, North Hopkins Community Church. But things are happening. You know why? They built the Dollar General right next to the church in the middle of nowhere. Everybody who goes and does anything in that area goes to the Dollar General right next to the church. They see, if they'd built the Dollar General when I was there, we'd have been running a thousand. <laughs> People notice the church. Guys, we got to get them to notice. Because our message is real. And it's important, it's practical, and it'll change their life. But what we've got to do is figure out the best possible way to take down any barriers. See, it's not church for us. I don't know if you remember the last Sunday before I went on sabbatical, what I told you. Turn to your neighbor and tell them it's not about you. Right now, turn to your neighbor. Tell them it's not about you. It's not. But the honest truth is we're doing church for our convenience, for our schedule, for our taste, instead of reaching the world with a call of Christ that he's called us to do. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the day that you've given us. And I ask you, Father, just to take these next few moments and speak to our hearts. God, to challenge us. God, to encourage us, Lord, to, to, to shape and to mold and to direct everything that we do in a way that glorifies Jesus Christ, our one and only, only begotten Lord and Savior. God, speak and do that in a way that changes who we are because of who you are. And we pray that this morning in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.